Welcome to Clarity Connects, where we talk about the human essence in brands, from branding, marketing, and business. I am your host, Tusef Mirza. Fundamentally, brands are created by human beings and for human beings. So understanding human attributes and having clarity on what genuinely connects with people is crucial. On this podcast, we will cover topics ranging from personal branding, corporate branding, leadership, team building, and marketing, all from a human perspective. We will also give ourselves the space for contemplation and explore ways to gain profitability while doing good simultaneously. Thank you for joining me. And now let's explore how Clarity connects for creating true impact. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Clarity Connects podcast. I am your host, Tusef Mirza. Today, I'm super excited to have on the show Sandy Skies. Sandy is the global lead of purpose and impact practice from one of the most compelling purpose communications consulting firms called Porter Novelli. She has helped many notable brands such as CVS, Abercrombie & Fitch, and Samsung in helping them thrive while creating positive change for society and the environment. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Thank you, Tusef. It's good to be here. Good to yes, be with right. you today. Yes, now I'm really happy to have a chance to speak with you today. So uh, what we're going to be talking about is the transformative time that we are living as a society and its inevitable impacts in terms of business, branding, and marketing. And we're also going to be looking at some research that provides insights in terms of where consumers are, um, in terms of how they're showing up and what are their expectations when they're looking into brands in this time of activism and reckoning and awakening. So I'm sure it's going to be a really interesting conversations going in different directions. So Sandy, before we dig in, can you tell us a little bit more about the focus of Porto Novelli? Sure. So Porto Novelli has been around, I think next year will be our 50th year. Um, we started as a communications agency formed by Bill Novelli and, and Bob Porter. They met in the Peace Corps, actually, and worked together on Madison Avenue 50 years ago. So think Mad Men, think back to the day. Mm -hmm. But they had, a, they had a perception that communications that was used, persuasive for getting people to buy products could be used to actually create behaviors that address social issues. So... We were early, involved early days in anti-smoking campaigns, um, dietary frameworks, um, et cetera. The way that I like to describe it is we help companies and organizations find their North Star, their purpose, articulate it in a way that's relevant to multiple stakeholders, all their stakeholders, live the commitment that that purpose suggests, and then tell the story on an ongoing cadence of updates of how a company is creating greater good. I think Porter Novelli is a, is a new kind of consulting firm because in addition to sort of operational business consulting, we add in the communications piece to it. Because I've certainly learned as someone who you know, my, my educational background is in sociology, which is the you know study of why groups behave the way they do. And you add to that 
the need to move organizations like companies, you can't do it without accessible messaging, storytelling, narratives, which invite stakeholders to understand what it is you're trying to do as an organization, how they fit into that, um, what you're asking them to believe and do um, beyond just purchasing the product. Uh, And so I think that's the place where we are as we watch the reckoning that you mentioned everywhere. It's this combination of understanding that organizations need to deliver some some sort of benefit to the greater good, the commons, right? And then how do they involve all their stakeholders to be able to do that? And then how do they tell the story in such a way that it motivates people to participate, but also you get credit for the way in which you're doing that. So your customers are more loyal, your investors are more interested, your suppliers are more participatory and engaging with you. And so that's really why the communications plus consulting, I think, makes Porter Novella unique. You know, what's interesting is a lot of times I find, especially since last year, we've been talking a lot more about doing good and purpose because of the year that we've gone through with the pandemic, with the Black Lives Matter movement, with the political chaos we've been going through. But it's interesting to see that for 50 years, that's been the cornerstone of Porno Novelli. It's just that now it's just more amplified and you have more people that are recognizing that it's something that's not just good just for the sake of positive change, but also in terms of the growth of a company. I think what the pandemic and Black Lives Matter movement was more than a wake-up call. It was an illumination so that once you see in stark reality how interconnected we are, how fragile supply chains are, how unequal the treatment of Black Americans by the police specifically, and then just inequities in general, when you see it so starkly, um, you can't unsee it. You can choose not to react to it or behave in it or respond to it. But I think that that's why we are where we are. We didn't go into lockdown in our homes and realize that the only way we were going to get through it is if we collectively wear masks, we collectively support our our essential workers. All those things made our interconnectedness and our vulnerability so much more clear. I've been saying for the last 12 years that I've been doing this sustainability, ESG, purpose work exclusively. Prior to that, I was doing just good old marketing and comms, um, selling products. But what I'll say is, um, you know, I think there's just this growing awareness that we all belong to each other, that the commons are all of our responsibilities. And now, now everyone's woken up to that. So that's where we are in this moment, I think. I think also that there's sort of this perfect storm that happened also because of social media and that everybody can consider themselves as a broadcaster. And I have the same potential of reaching millions of people as CBS, uh, you know, if I have the followers, obviously. So I think that also enabled a pretty interesting compounding effect and just feeling part of a, of a movement together. You're right. When when you can be a, a, a citizen journalist and be the young woman who filmed the murder of George Floyd, 
the world is different. Um, and all of us now are have a front seat to everything that's happening, which can be both um, illuminating and exciting and overwhelming. And then there's the other side of then taking that video as, as not shooting the video, but taking that video that I see and then sharing it and amplifying it, um, which, which I feel it makes everybody recognize that I matter in, in some way. That if I can put this out there in the world, then my values are worth expressing. And, and I think before we didn't necessarily have, um, we, we didn't have that platform. We were just talking with our friends, you know. Right. I see what you mean. You're, what you're basically saying is that we now have platforms for expressing not only just the things we find interesting, but that are expressive of our value system, too. And so, right, and it's broadcast well beyond our small circle of, of friends. And so even if we went through this tumultuous year last year, we're recording this now in, in May of 2021, and even this year with the January 6th terrorist attack on the Capitol, and then we saw in March in Georgia, the voting rights debacle that, that happened, I was surprised to see that brands are actually standing up, not just for societal and environmental issues, but also from a political perspective as well. And I'm sure that businesses think a lot before they engage at that level because it can get pretty messy, but they still did. So I think it was Marriott and Best Buy um, when it was around January 6th that suspended donations to politicians who voted against the certifying of Biden. And then you had brands such as Coca-Cola and Delta with the pressure of customers in the community in Georgia that basically denounced that these new restrictive laws have no place here because they're basically aiming at the voter suppression of, of black and brown people. Do you feel that we we've entered uh, a tipping point, like this is a lasting effect? We have seen a fundamental shift, yes. We at Porter Novelli build a lot of our recommendations to clients on data, and we do our own proprietary research. We've been pulsing uh, people's attitudes about products and companies, brands for, gosh, well, close to 20 years. In early, in March, of 2020, as companies were contemplating, should, should we close our office and send everybody home? We started pulsing people over 2,000 Americans that were representative of the U.S. Census. So it was a representative sample. And we started pulsing them every two weeks. The first questions we were asking was a lot about, what do you expect companies to do with this COVID thing? And a lot of our clients were coming to us and asking, what should, what should we do and what should we say? We were one of a set of advisors they were coming to from a, a sort of consulting and communications perspective. So we thought, let's go ask, what, what do people think? We saw this interesting shift of trust and uh, expectations went from sort of the federal government to the state government, and then it just kept plummeting. And simultaneously, we saw expectations and trust in corporations rise. And it, eventually we saw there was this understanding that if companies would simply take care of their employees and keep them safe, if that meant keeping them home 
or putting them in distanced workplaces or making sure they had PPE, making sure you kept paying them. There was a big push for a while for companies, like even if they're not working, just keep paying them. Like we're going to trust brands and corporations to be that safety net that's for the social fabric that is just falling apart. We also are wanting brands to make sure we have access to cleaning supplies and food and all the things that are fragile, the fragility of our economic and and business systems and our supply chain just fell apart. So we were watching that happen um, and this growing expectation that, oh no, brands, we actually expect you at the corporate level to be a good citizen in ways that we've never actually asked you to do before. And then we had the murder of George Floyd and this sense of deep awareness of this, these systems of inequity that were disproportionately affecting brown and black people. And again, it was, hey, brands, don't just be performative and saying, hey, Black Lives Matter. Well, first of all, the expectation that companies come out in support of Black Lives Matter was a sea change. Because prior to that time, I mean, if you remember Black Lives Matter that had been around for a while and it was it had been politicized. And then I think what we're watching is the, I don't know if you want to call it the depolitization of these social issues that become mainstream. So racial justice, equality, dismantling inequity is now a a social good that all companies are expected to participate in. So we were pulsing every two weeks and we we, we watched this shift and we did a specific uh, set of questions and a deep dive into expectations around social justice and social issues. Like, what do you expect brands to do? Do you want them to weigh into these social issues? What's your expectation? More than 60% expect brands to take a stand. Close to 70% believe that if you don't, you don't care or you're not doing anything. And then we also pulsed employees. 45% of employees said if their company isn't participating in social justice issues, they will look elsewhere for work. Mm -hmm. So people want brands to do this. Employees want brands to do this in a big way. And interesting, employees will hold their own company more accountable than they will companies they'll buy from. So there's this tension of, I expect the companies I buy from to do things, but the company I work for, they better walk their talk when it comes to social justice or I'm out. Um, so the voting and, and capital riot in particular, in my opinion, uh, represents a change in, again, the, the sort of social issues that are now table stakes or just seen as universal human rights. And I believe democracy, small d, uh, democratic processes, voting, um, certifying votes, protection of democracy is now a, a universal human right. I believe in the same way that corporations are expected to ensure we don't have child labor, there's no you know, slavery in the supply chain. Those are just understood human uh, rights that access to voting is what's coming. And I think that's the recognition that 
Delta and Home Depot and many of the other Georgia-based companies finally came to. And I believe that is why many corporations signed on to the actions around the voting suppression laws that are popping up everywhere. I think I don't think that's going to go away. My mm-hmm. that's my my personal prediction. And I think also that like Coca-Cola and and Delta and Home Depot, they have a pretty good population of their employees that are black or brown people. So That's right. I mean, you have to stand up for your employees, number one, and, and everybody else. But you have to start where it's right in front of you and start making that change happen. One of the studies that I thought was really interesting by Porto Novelli at the beginning of this year was on cancel culture in business. Cancel culture gets a lot of bad rap, but I thought it was interesting what the cancel culture sort of actions actually mean. Can you talk a little bit about that? To boil it down it's at its simplest, cancel culture is about changing corporate action, right? It is specifically aimed at, hey, corporation, hey, brand, you're doing this thing I don't like. I'm canceling you till you change that action. So canceling is as much canceling you on my social media, as much as I'm, it's a little bit like, um, I'm cutting off listening to you and I'm cutting off buying from you until you change this action. And the research showed that when people cancel, um, it is with the intention of, Hey, if they change their behavior and it works, I'll give them a second chance. So canceling isn't forever, (laughs) uh, but it's intended to drive change. It's a way to engage. It's a way to have a conversation with the other entity that you disagree with. And I thought it was an interesting way of looking at it. It's not just say disagree and that's it. We have to find means to communicate what we feel that are in alignment or not with our value system. And the cancel culture enables that. People who or love your brand, but you're doing something they don't like, so they cancel you, they will come back and check on you. About a 23% say, we'll never support that brand again. But in varying timeframes, that's 75% who say, yeah, I might cancel you, but I'll come back and check on you a week, a month, a couple of months, and see if you've made any changes. Which is why the smartest and most engaged brands understand how important it is to just keep talking keep communicating. Like you said, that engagement, go back. Hey, we made a mistake. This is what we've done. We've made some progress. We've got a long way to go. We're trying. Having in that dialogue with their, with their stakeholders, their customers or their investors or their employees, that's so important. It's very nice to see that actually people are forgiving as long as Um, The companies are being honest in terms of what they're trying to do, that they're actually moving the needle in that direction. We tend to think of brands and corporations and companies of these just monolithic entities, but they're, they're collections of people just like you and I go to their work, go to their jobs every day, just trying their best. Um, That's always, that's certainly been my experience in the last you know, 12 plus years I've been doing this work is, and maybe it's because I work with the sustainability and social, you know, impact people inside a company, but by and large, you know, these are people 
trying to turn their big ships, uh, corporations around. Um, it, it's just not easy. On that note, in terms of how you help brands make that shift towards being more purposeful or vouching more steadily towards an issue, what is the overarching methodology that you use to help brands do that? It's a prescribed process that we use in helping a company identify and articulate its true north. You know, you start by looking inward. It's the series of questions. What do you make? Does the world need what you make? Uh, how do you make it? Who's making it? What are you making it with? All those big questions. So you look at internally at yourself. Um, and then you look out and do a, a, a scan of other companies. What are others like us? How are they doing it? How are they showing up? Um, and then you look at the sort of cultural, what we call tailwinds and headwinds. What's happening in the world? We see right now we're needing to move to a net zero carbon economy where we need to get to all renewable energy. We need, uh, we need to dismantle systemic racism and inequities everywhere in the world. So those are the sort of cultural milieu within which you're making the thing you're making and selling it. And somewhere in all of that, after you pull, gather all that information, we begin looking at it in sort of a, these sort of two by two vectors. And every, every client engagement is different, but where, where you're trying to arrive at is here's this unique thing we make in this unique way we do our brand, our brand persona. And every company, especially if you go back to that, our origin story, that founding story, whoever invented the thing, they were like, oh my gosh, this is going to make people's lives better. So you just go back to that. And what's that better? And how does it need to show up now? We were talking with a company that makes computing equipment. And part of what they do is access. And, you know, access can look like uh, the digital divide. And it can look like, let's make sure that for communities, get the laptops, et cetera, that they need. And I said, yeah, but you also have this thing over here, this where you're, you've got Braille and you've got audio accessibility for the hard of hearing. And, and, and we know now that one in four people in the world suffer a disability at some point in their life and disability equity matters. Could access rather than poverty be all about different disabilities? So you, you can see now where a company might take that and say, wow, you're right. Doesn't mean we stop doing all the other things we're doing. It's just, that's where we're going to lean in because we see this opportunity that is, that feels right to us, feels right to our research and development and our inventors and our creators. And, if, and it's serving a population that may be neglected. And so that's really what we look for is that place that can express your intention in a tangible way. And then what it should do when you find it is unlock creativity and excitement and emotion for everyone who works in the company. Cause you're like, wow, we do that. Um, so 
that's the way in which we help people find our corporations find their purpose. I would think that it would require a certain type of CEO or executive leadership to be able to welcome that sort of self-awareness. When I talk about purpose, I'm saying that from an organizational product development brand, what problem are you solving in the world and in what way? Let's take a company that has huge disparities in their system. That may or may not be their purpose, but it becomes a way of achieving their purpose. So if you're a food company and you make a line of food products, the way in which you make and deliver and provide access to your food, in addition to the internal work you're going to do around removing the inequities in your own corporate culture, can be a purpose. It can be how you make the food, how you think about who your customers are, how you do uh, pricing and access and all those things. If you choose that, reducing inequity becomes your purpose. There's ways to do it operationally and out in society. But you're right, it takes a special kind of leader to look at that and say, nope, we're going we're gonna to work to change the very system that help us, helped us thrive you know, 100 plus years ago. So these are messy conversations and do require a certain emotional intelligence and humility, really. Yeah, because a lot of times when we are in, in a company or agency, you don't have a tendency to talk about emotion as much. It's a very rational conversation. Um, and to be, to open that up and, you know, when I do brand strategy and when I talk about branding, I bring it back a lot on the human aspects and human attributes. And, and that throws people off as well, because you're talking about emotions again and, and values. Um, but I love how through this work, it forces people to look at themselves and I think that's such a growth for the company, but also for the people themselves in terms of reinstating their sense of integrity in terms of, you know, how they want to move forward. Well, and you want, and certainly in millennials and the Gen Z below them, want the congruency to who I am and what I do. Um so we were talking about before the identifying, like you were saying, the North Star of a company. So that's just one step, right? And then once you have identified, then you have to actually operationalize that in the substance of the business and how it shows up and how it's now going to deal with their suppliers, their other stakeholders, their customers, uh, their marketing. So it's a, it's a huge uh, undertaken. I think sometimes people think, oh, you know, I'll just do this one tactic and it's a one and done. That's not how it works. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine if you, as your purpose, it's about people who may not have access. Let's go back to that disability example. And then you have to say, gosh, let's look at our, our factories and our office buildings and our employees. And are we, are we actually welcoming all different kinds of disabilities? And what are we doing to ensure that? And so then you start thinking about that. And then you look into your supply chain and you might say, well, are there things that we might do that are supportive of 
groups or small companies that are owned by people with disabilities or use uh, people with disabilities to make the parts that we're buying. And you can use what you start seeing is that when you have, look, this is just something we've decided is our purpose. Like we make computers, but it's really about making sure people with disabilities are taken care of everywhere they are. Ordinances in certain cities that make it difficult for people with disabilities to get on buses or on commuter trains, you as a company might weigh in on that. And all of a sudden, it, it, it reveals to you a way of showing up in the world that's solving the one thing that you, you're paying attention to. doesn't mean you, we can't do everything, but we all just find the thing that we're the most passionate about. And getting an organization to collectively be passionate about solving a particular problem is exciting. So operationalizing that purpose, it should unlock lots and lots of ideas in the supply chain, in product development and innovation, in talent and human capital, recruiting, retention, belonging, in your advertising and marketing. Can you imagine if we started seeing people with disabilities more represented in just average marketing? All of those things, you are living your purpose because it's showing up in in all the ways that the company shows up. I love I love what you're saying because I think also what you're really saying is by leaning in with that curiosity and that creativity you actually have more possibilities of opportunities of growth that you didn't even know you had. Since we're talking about the full breadth and depth of what you get involved into which can be a lot when you work with certain brands, does it happen that when you start going through this process that they realize that this fish is too big to fry right now and they step back because it feels too scary and just too big to handle? Yes, certainly. I think any purpose exploration leads to those big, big questions. I'll go back to that research that we did, progress, not perfection. Tell us how you're doing. Let us know the, the struggles and stumbles and barriers. People want companies to be honest and humble and, and real with them. You did a TED Talk, and I loved what you said about that we need more non-binary thinking. Can you explain what you mean by that? Well, Non-binary is either or, black, white, up, right. down, right, wrong. There's only two choices and it's, it's binary. It's ones and zeros. Non-binary thinking accepts the gray and accepts ambiguity and accepts spectrums. And that nothing is actually really truly binary, that there are variations and gradations to everything um, in reality and in, in the physical world and in emotions, etc. Um, and so once once you get to that, that's what I call yes and thinking. Instead of no but, it's yes and. It creates space and openness to consider other possibilities. It's a way of sort of holding two mutually exclusive ideas in your head at the same time and realizing they could actually both be true. Um, and I think we've watched over the last 
four or five years or more, a push toward this either or, good or bad, right or wrong, red or blue. And it's dangerous um, because actually life doesn't function that way. I remember um, Janine Benyus is a, is a smart biomimicry expert. She actually runs the Biomimicry Institute. I believe it's in Colorado. She was saying that people claim that nature is kill or be killed. Natural selection is the governing principle. But if you actually look at nature, nature is a ecosystems of interdependence. And there is, with the exception of some animals mating behaviors, there's actually very little competition for pure competition. And one being eats another being, you know, it's just this, it's an interrelated interdependent system without a lot of competition. Competition isn't how nature works. And so for me, that collaboration systems thinking, that's what I mean by non-binary, not this, I'm the winner, you're the loser, the zero-sum game, all of it. It's collaborative, it's interdependent, it's interconnected. Those are the realities. That's the real truth of our physical world. And then therefore to have more openness for divergent views and try to see how to interrelate them. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I love that. There's another thing that you had talked about, which was um, your hope in terms of the new generation, the Gen Z entering the workforce and and what their values are. Um, Can you expand a little bit on that? I've been working in LGBTQ rights for years. I'm a queer person. So I, um, it's, a, it's a space I'm comfortable in. Um, my pronouns are she, her. I'm a, I identify as a female. But if you look at this, these younger generations, they are rejecting gender as a construct. It's a binary construct the way we have it. You're either male or female, man or woman. There's nothing in between. That's all it is. And what they're expressing, and I think we're, we're watching this, this growth of the non-binary thinking, which is actually, I, I, don't, I prefer to not be categorized in, in either way, or I think I'm both. So I'm going to say I'm both, or I'm neither, or I'm all. People get confused by that, the sort of gender fluidity that's, that's emerging and a little scared by it because it's so different than what we're accustomed to in the, the world in which we've constructed. And yet it's so freeing. It calls into question gender roles and so many constructs. You know, a great example is we're actually working with an eyewear company right now that is looking at do does frames, do they need to be gendered? Are there girl frames and boy frames? Toy companies are already doing this. Hasbro is a great example of a company that has removed gender from its toy classifications. They don't say who it's for. The children will choose. Well, it's freeing. That way of seeing the world of an endless spectrum of possibilities allows for creativity, collaboration, interconnectedness. That's why I'm hopeful. I think that there's emerging a new way of seeing, which we're going to need in our more interconnected, mutually dependent, fragile world. 
you know, our conversation has gone from so many places. Um, and in a way, it, I was thinking about how it's awesome, how it, it it's basically non-binary conversation maybe that we just had because we're just, we just merged so many ideas together in terms of branding, in terms of social justice, in terms of Gen Z, LGBTQ, growth, profits. And it's such an amazing time to be alive of recognizing that all these things are so interconnected. Like before, when we talked about business, we were talking about it in such siloed ways. And I think a lot of businesses and um, industries still do. I think eventually, because of the new generation and all the pressures that we're feeling, people are going to see that interconnectedness more. So as we conclude the show, I always ask this one last question to all my guests. Since this is the Clarity Connects podcast, I would like to ask you, Sandy, what is a clarity moment that you have had in the past year? This can be of a personal nature or a professional nature. It can be about what we talked about or not. Anything that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, for me, the clarity moment was it's this realization of how fragile life is fragile and precious right to to be separated from people you love for over a year um like uh, so many things you take for granted right so i guess for me it was this clarity of life is short relationships matter more than i thought they did nurturing of those relationships. So I will come back into this with much more attention to and attentiveness to people in my life, relationships in my life. So I'm I'm just aware of how fleeting and fragile and precious life and people are um, in a way that I, I was busy. I was too busy to see. So I, it's been a very, very busy year. I mean, we've been busy and yet I was, I appreciate that moment of clarity of, whoa, uh, I'm going to make space for things that I didn't make space for before. Thank you for sharing that and for giving us that space for contemplation. Thank you so much. Thank you also to all the listeners for joining us. A bientôt.